Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So when John is saying here, and, and you know, but we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we know that that time can come any time. We will meet him in the clouds in the rapture of the church. When he is revealed, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. That same resurrection body. Are you looking forward to that? Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says we will be like Him. Welcome to our Bible study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Though our present state is plain, our future destiny is clouded. We don't know the details of what we will become in the world beyond. In this sense, we can't even imagine what we will be like in glory. However, we're not completely in the dark about our future state. When Jesus is revealed to us, either by his coming or by our going to him, John says, we shall be like him. And now, let's join Pastor Rob for today's study. In fact, they rejected him. They cried out for his blood on the cross. We will not have this man rule over us. We would rather have Caesar. Are you serious? This guy in Rome, this, this, this pagan idolatry was a pedophile, probably demon-possessed desiring to be worshipped as God himself, and that's what the Caesars did, by the way. Many of them would receive worship as God. But don't be discouraged. The world does not know us because it didn't know him. Because you are a child of God, God the world does not understand you. You are completely different. You are an enigma to the world. <laughs> they look at you and squint as if they are testing new eyes. Who are you? Isn't that amazing that there can be such great disdain for a person who loves God, who loves the truth, who loves morality? Because believe me, God is moral. He created morals. He is moral. <laughs> he created all these things. But your heart, your motivations, your appetites, your worldview is diametrically opposed to that of the world. They don't understand you. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 4, it says... They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. That's what the world does. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, We are fools for Christ's sake, Paul says to the Corinthians. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. And he's, he's kind of bantering with them a little bit. He says, We are weak, but you are strong. And you are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And then in the 13th verse of that same chapter, he says, We have been made as the filth of the world. 
the offscouring of all things until now. The world doesn't know you. They can't understand you. Don't be surprised when they look at you with crossed eyes and when they give you the business. When you're overlooked for that promotion, don't be discouraged when you're persecuted. We don't like persecution, but it's coming. The Apostle Paul and Silas knew this very well, or the Apostle Paul especially. But there was a time, if you remember, in Acts chapter 17, it says, beginning in verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them, and he's speaking of Silas and Timothy, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily and with those who happened to be there. And then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer, a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They didn't even know who Paul, you know, that they even gave Paul the business. What is this babbler trying to say? The world is very comfortable in its sin. The world is motivated by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All of these things are very evident in our culture. But our, we have to remember who our true enemy is. People in the world aren't the enemy. The real enemy of our souls is Satan himself. He is the true enemy, and he uses the world to war against us. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Should we really care what the world really thinks about you and me? I don't hold too much in my heart about the way people think of me. But again, we don't want to see them as enemies. They may see us as enemies. They may see us as a thorn in the side of our culture. Do you ever get that feeling that you just don't belong here? Well, guess what? You don't. But God has put us here to be in the world, but not to be of the world. But there's coming a time when he's going to call you out of the world. We know that that day is coming. But I love this, that the world does not know us because it did not know him, but we are known of God. We are known of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what Paul said. He says, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Well known by God, unknown by the world. And it has to be that way. Whenever there is a Christian or a a ministry that's so exalted by the world, you better be careful. When the world is saying all these great things and wonderful things about you, chances are you may be, you may be, leaving out the important details. Because the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ, is an offense. It's an offense. It's supposed to be. That's why it's so hard for us to share with people, because it is an offense. It offends people to to know that, number one, that they're a sinner. Everyone likes to think that they're inherently good, but the Bible says that we're inherently bad. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? No one likes to hear that, but we are known of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8, it says, By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, speaking of of him and the disciples. And I love verse 9, it says, as unknown and yet well known. Known by the church, known by God, but unknown by the world. In verse 2, he goes on, he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. 
But we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The very form of Jesus is very different now than it was when he was on the earth. The Bible says that while he was on the earth and he incarnate through the Virgin Mary, that he had flesh and blood and bone, just like you and I. He was born in human flesh. 100% God, yet 100% man, paying the price for us. But notice what happened after the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36, Jesus, after the resurrection, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he appears that very night with his disciples, and he says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And notice verse 39. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. He had flesh and bone. I'm going to make up some new words this morning, like I did last week. (laughs) A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus and his transformation and his resurrection changed. No longer flesh and blood and body, but now just flesh and bones. The Bible says the, the life is in the blood, but now there is no blood. Who's a, who is the life agent in his life right now? It's the Spirit of God empowering him, energizing him. He is God in the flesh, and now he has a new body, a little bit different perhaps. But the scars are still there. Mary Magdalene, if you remember, when she saw him, and the Apostle John, even in in John chapter 21, and the two who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they saw something different. Until Jesus revealed himself to them, they were kind of like scratching their heads. It seems like Jesus. There was just enough about him that made him a little different. His resurrection body being a little bit different. But we too, as it says here, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at some of this last week, but let's look at it again, because this is encouraging. Encouraging to me. You're, you guys are ready for an upgrade. You are going to receive a bodily upgrade. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking to them about the, this idea of the rapture and the resurrection. And this body that we are going to be taking. Because remember, he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we're going to be caught up. Our, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and they are going to be raised incorruptible. And then those of us who are alive and remain will be transformed, and we will be taken up. We'll be receiving a new body. Paul goes into more detail here in 1 Corinthians 15. Those two chapters, remember those. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18, and certainly 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 and onward. Hold those two together because those give a a good uh, representation of what it is. But notice in verse 35, Paul says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? He says, Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, right? Unless a kernel of wheat dies and goes into the ground, it abides alone. Unless it dies... But when it dies, it goes in. What does it do? It bears grain. And uh, those in the agriculture uh, industry, they understand that. The, the, the sprout has to go into the ground and die. The seed does. And then comes life. 
But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. We know this. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. Celestial means heavenly bodies and terrestrial earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. That's true of us. We were, it's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption at the rapture of the church. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but when the rapture occurs, it is sowed in power. It is raised in power, excuse me. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Speaking of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, he was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, Jesus Christ. And, and was, as was the man of dust, so also... Those who are made of dust, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And we, are, and we have borne the image of the man of dust. I'm sorry, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And so when John is saying here, and you know, but we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we know that that time can come any time. We will meet him in the clouds in the rapture of the church. When he is revealed, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. That same resurrection body. Are you looking forward to that? Yes. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. <laughs> Notice in verse 3 in our text this morning, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This hope is called the blessed hope. That's what we read just a few moments ago. That is the blessed hope. It's the rapture. But it's even greater than that because it's not just the action of, of, of the rapture that's great, as great as that is. But guess what? We are going to meet him. He, I mean, that's just the process to get us to him so that we can live with him forever. To me, that, that's just, the, ice, that's just the, the, the prelude. That's just the game warm-up before the game when we finally see Jesus face to face, and you know what? He has purified us. He has purified us. He is continually purifying us, and ultimately one day we will be purified. We know that that is true, and this desire to be pure and to break the chain of sin, it comes from God. It doesn't come from within us, because there is nothing in us that wants to be sinless in, in and of ourselves. 
He invaded us. He had to plant a new nature within me to make me to crave righteousness, to want to be like him. Don't you want to be like him? Aren't you sick of your old flesh? Aren't you so tired of, of going through the motions and just being beat over the head like a club with your, with your sins? Maybe sins that have just been kind of, it may not be habitual, but it may be something that just over time, it's just kind of like my Achilles heel, you know? Do you have an Achilles heel? Is there something that plagues you? Maybe other things have gone away, but now as a child of God, you're, you're still going along, and every now and then, man, you just get your feet wiped out from underneath you. You're not alone if that is the case. But he purifies us, but he also asks us to purify, to cleanse. God works in us and also gives us the power to resist sin and to be victorious in it. What does he say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12? He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here is the verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you just take that verse at face value, you may think, well, I've got to work, my, work, work this out myself and earn my favor with God, earn my way into heaven. No, because the next part of the verse is the one that everybody leaves out. <laughs> and it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and then to do. Notice the process. To will, let me repeat that. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who works in you, first to will and then to do of his good pleasure. I don't even have the will to do God's will. He places that in me. He changes my heart. He changes your heart. And then he gives you something to do with it. He gives you something to do. He changes your heart. Are you worried about, what? I don't know what God wants to do with my life. Well, you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to be a problem. You're not going to hate it. If you are really in the center of God's will, you are going to love it with all of your heart. Honestly, I'm loving what he's doing in my heart, in my life. Could never have seen it coming. I would have laughed if you'd have told me I'd be doing what I'm doing now, that God would do this. Honestly, I would have laughed. I'm loving it. Love it. And when you're in the center of God's will, you are going to love it too. He first makes you willing. He changes your heart, and then guess what? And all of a sudden, the doing is very natural. Because the battle has already been won of the will. The will has to be submitted to God. To me, that's the hardest thing about even a child, is to break their will. My will needed to be broken before I would finally get on my knees and confess my sin before God. I had to be broken like a horse that's just this black stallion that's just full of, full of rage and this male horse just filled with power can just trample over anybody doesn't even feel doesn't even know you exist it needs to be broken so that that horse can be a, a saddle can be put on that horse and a bridle and a bit and now you can move that horse and cause it to leap over things you can cause it to turn little subtle movements you can cause it to do certain things We need to be broken. I needed to be broken. I still need to be broken. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will no wise cast away. Isn't that what? He will never cast you away. But we have to be broken. But he causes us to will and then to do. But, but, but even in spite of him cleansing us, even in spite of him purifying us and, and, and having purified us and will ultimately purify us, We also have to do the same. And it has to be in that order. He's the one who does it initially. He initiates it. And now we have to do something in return, don't we? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, in our letter that we're looking at, 
What did John say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus cleansed us. But because of what he has done, notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. Let me read it to you. Paul says, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to put off something, and we have to put something else on. And that's something, folks, that we have to do. We have to do it. It's not legalism. He has already purified us. We are already perfected in his sight. But practically, day to day, we need to, with the Spirit of God in us, because we have the power of the Spirit of God in us, now we can do it. Now we have the ability to do it. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be hard at times? You better believe it. Sometimes it's going to drive you in tears and get on your knees because you're like undergoing so much stress and temptation. Sometimes you need to drop. I would encourage you to drop. Don't cave into the sin. When you're going through it, you drop to your knees and you just start praying. Because you don't have strength by yourself to do it. You have to rely on his strength. His strength. But we have to do it, right? When I'm faced with something, I have to put that thing off and I have to put something else on. That's what we have to do. He's done the greatest work. Now we have to appropriate it. We have to put feet on it. And he's even with us in the midst of it. To me, that's the, the great thing about it. And you know, Paul was so vehement about this. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was just so bent, so bent on doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. In verse 4, it says, Whoever commits sin and commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. This word, unfortunately, in the New King James Version, kind of just, it, it may not mean a lot to you, but in the King James Version, there is something that you'll see that really gives it away. Whosoever, and this is in the King James Version, it reads this way, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Whenever you see this word, if you're reading the King James, an E-T-H suffix at the end of a verb, it means continuous present tense. It means a continuous habit. It means something that you're continually doing, something we should be continually doing, or maybe something we shouldn't be doing. But notice, that's what it is in, in this verse. It's the continuous present, which means whoever continues to commit sin also commits, continues to commit lawlessness. That's the idea. John, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered his disciples and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And the idea is the same here. Whoever continues to commit sin is a slave to sin. It's like a bondage that you can never get out of if you never break the chain. Because whenever you continue doing that thing that you know you ought to do, what you're doing is you're adding more fire, more fuel to the fire. You've got to starve that fire. 
Whatever it is, you've got to starve it. You've got to take away, and the e- it'll get easier and easier and easier, but it will be hard, and it'll be something you have to f- purpose to do with all of your heart. I would have you write this verse down. In Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, Paul just talks about this idea of being a slave to sin. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.